What's going on, everyone? And welcome into another edition of Be Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the early morning hours of Friday, March 31st, 2023. I guess that's how I know there are 31 days in March because it's after midnight and it's still March. I don't know if I would have known that an hour ago when it was still March 30th because I honestly hadn't looked at a calendar recently. Just going day to day. We're all kind of day to day, right? Giovanni Gallegos is day-to-day with a little back stiffness. And Cardinals fans are hoping that the update we get on Wilson Contreras will be similar. Hoping to hear day-to-day, hoping it's not something more serious sustained by the new Cardinals catcher on opening day Thursday. Wow, what a, what a wide array of emotions you may have had if you took in that Cardinals-Blue Jays game on Thursday afternoon. From Bush Stadium, 10-9, to the Cardinals lose this one. Start off the 2023 season, well, on the wrong foot, with a loss going 0-1 now. And there was every opportunity to win this game. There's so many things that happened in this game. In the pitch clock era, we're still seeing, you know, a a three-and-a-half-hour baseball game because neither pitcher got out of the fourth inning, neither starting pitcher. Alec Manoa for Toronto, Miles Michael is for St. Louis. Neither got through four innings. And that meant a lot of pitching changes, a lot of mid-inning pitching changes, a lot of pitches thrown, a lot of runs scored. 19 hits for the Blue Jays, 15 for the Cardinals in a 10-9 loss for St. Louis. So many things happened. But I feel like the most pressing of the conversation topics is the health of Wilson Contreras who took a 102.7-mile-per-hour sinker out of the hand of Jordan Hicks off the kneecap, the right kneecap, and he got up to bound after the ball, which went down as a wild pitch, kind of a costly one there in the eighth inning for the Cardinals. And you could tell right away that Wilson Contreras was limping, that the knee wasn't right, and how could it be right, honestly? 103 miles per hour off the kneecap. It hit the padding, sure, but it's not stone padding I mean there is uh there's only so much give that you're going to get there and so yeah Jordan Hicks couldn't quite get a handle on that pitch and we'll talk about how Ollie Marmel actually didn't seem to be too concerned he wasn't too concerned about the command issues for Jordan Hicks and I'll explain kind of what I mean by that and I got some pushback when I put that on Twitter because people are saying listen did you watch the game? Jordan Hicks, you know, he he struggled there with the strike zone. But I think maybe he gets a little bit of a bad rap for some of the things that went wrong there in the eighth inning. But we'll talk about Jordan Hicks. But we've got a lot of other topics to get to first. We'll touch on Contreras first on and get to then the Jordan Walker debut, which uh, I think all in all went pretty well. But there was there was there there were some ups and some downs from Jordan Walker. And so we'll talk about the rookie's debut, got his first big league hit. That's the the headliner for sure, but kind of impressions, early impressions of Jordan Walker we'll get to tonight. Adam Wainwright uh, didn't pitch in the game, didn't deliver a pitch, but he did deliver a national anthem. And maybe to to break up the the doldrums of, of talking about a loss, we will give you some audio from Adam Wainwright from inside the clubhouse because he was more than happy to talk about it. Adam Wainwright was your national anthem singer before opening day at Bush Stadium, so that was a lot of fun. And then another positive I want to get to, we'll try to touch on the different player impacts and things that happened in this game as they sort of come to me. 
But Brendan Donovan, I want to make sure we talk about in a little bit of detail because I think there is a chance, I know it's early, but I think there's a chance that Brendan Donovan ends up being one of the biggest stories of this St. Louis Cardinals season based on what we saw in spring and then what we saw in the uh, the early small sample from the first game of the regular season today. So all those are topics I want to get into. It'll be grab bag just like always where uh, we'll, we'll see where the stream of consciousness takes me here on B-Shape Daily. But appreciate you guys for being with me. Make sure you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts, but most importantly, Spotify. Follow the podcast on Spotify. Give me those five-star reviews. You'd be wonderful for doing so. Check me out on YouTube as well, youtube.com slash at bshafer12. I posted a video of Ollie Marmel's post-game press conference over there on YouTube. That's, once again, youtube.com slash at bshafer12, just like the Twitter handle. And the same as Facebook, facebook.com slash bshafer12. The socials are rolling. Heck, give me a follow on TikTok. It's the exact same, bshafer12 on TikTok, where I posted a video of the Clydesdales today. But I'm going to be getting into some more uh, Bush Stadium TikToks and things you may be only would see over there. So if you like the content I'm bringing you, I'm going to work hard this summer to bring you even more of it. So at Schaefer 12 pretty much anywhere you're going to find me. And uh, subscribe on Spotify to the pod. We'll be rolling along. Unfortunately, tonight, though, we're rolling along talking about a Cardinals loss. Ah, 10-9 to to the Toronto Blue Jays. Man, this game was there for the taking, wasn't it? Offensively, there's a lot to like about I think, the the start to the Cardinals season. I know we're going to get into Donovan. But every single player in the starting lineup today for the Cardinals, all nine, got at least one base hit. Contreras, two for four before the injury. Goldie, two for four. Arenado goes two for five. Both Goldie and Arenado had doubles in this game. Arenado with three runs driven in. Goldsmith had one. Newt Barr goes one for four. A couple of walks as well, so he was on base three times. I mean, there are opportunities for guys. Newt Barr had a chance there uh, in the ninth inning. He was the last batter of the game to maybe extend the action, wasn't able to do so. But, like, it's hard to argue with a guy who got on base three times. Donovan and Newt Barr, it's kind of the, the combo that we saw at the top of the lineup late in the 2022 season. And Oliver Marmel has gone right back to it. And it seems to be working, at least in the early going, uh, between Donovan and Newt Barr. Four hits today. A pair of walks by Newt for a combination of six times on base. Donovan goes three for six with three runs scored in the game. There's a chance I could say, and again, I'm going to get into Brendan Donovan more specifically as it relates to his power and uh, his his exit velocity. Really, is a sight to behold. But I think there's a chance that Brendan Donovan enters the All Star break with something crazy like 75 or 80 runs scored. Like, Brendan Donovan could lead the, the National League in run scored this year, and it would not surprise me. Because batting behind him is Newt Barr, who we, you know, we think is going to have a pretty good season. But then Goldsmith, reigning MVP. Arenado finished third in the MVP vote. And I of the two, if I were to handicap it between Goldie and Arenado, I almost would give the edge to Arenado to, to pass up his teammate and try and get that MVP this year. So you've got two of the best hitters in the National League batting three and four in the lineup. And if Donovan's going to be batting leadoff, which I think he can do uh, basically against whatever pitcher they're going to throw at you on the other side, righty, lefty, it doesn't matter. That was demonstrated a little bit in today's game. 
because the Blue Jays, I mean, there were so many middle inning pitching changes, guys. I'll be, I'll full disclosure this for you. I covered the game at Bush, covered the post game. I was trying to get out of there, though, as quickly as I could because Thursday night, every Thursday night is my, uh, my league bowling night. I wanted to get to bowling if I could. But there was no chance of that happening tonight because instead of like the two and a half hour game, I thought we might have a chance at getting with the pitch clock now in effect. We got a three and a half hour game with a hundred million pitching changes and all of them happened in the middle of innings. But for the most part, I thought these these managers are going back and forth and, and making savvy pitching changes. It seemed almost like every time a change was made there for a while in the game, the guy that came in would immediately get the out, get out of the jam, get out of the bases, uh, the runners on base situation, whatever the case might have been. And so I had to give credit to the managers on that front. However, there was a move made in the sixth inning. It gave the Cardinals the initial lead that they were able to come up with because Toronto started off the game with a 3 nothing lead. Cardinals were fighting back ever since then. But in the sixth inning, it was a pretty innocuous situation where nobody was on base for two outs. You got the top of the order coming up, but, you know, just get one of these guys out and you're out of the jam. They bring in a lefty pitcher to do so because you've got Two left-handed batters and Donovan and Newpark coming up to the plate. However, remember, the three-batter minimum is still a thing this year. And so if you don't get both those lefties out, you now have a left-handed reliever that ends up with no other choice but to face Paul Goldschmidt, who absolutely terrorizes left-handed pitching. And so that was the one move that the Blue Jays made that I thought, okay, I get it, but it's a little risky. And then you get into the situation where Donovan and Newpar both reach base, and suddenly you've got a situation on your hand. Tim Miza was the left-handed pitcher. And Goldie didn't take him deep, but he, he got the base hit that ended up giving the Cardinals the lead there. I just thought, yeah, what else did you think was going to happen? There's another situation like that later on in the game where after the Contreras injury, they had Andrew Kisner batting in the five hole because that's where Contreras began the game. I believe this was in the eighth inning after the Cardinals had given up that lead in the top of the eighth, which we'll get to with Jordan Hicks. But in the bottom of the eighth inning, and I'll sit next to Brandon Kylie of 101 ESPN in the press box, and the Cardinals have a stew brewing. They've got a little bit of a rally going. But you've got a spot where runners on second and third, Arenado up to the bat, and you totally could walk him and force Andrew Kisner into an uncomfortable situation to take his first at-bat of the season. You know, there's less than two outs, but, you know, double plays, things can happen. They pitch to Arenado, and it goes exactly the way you think it'll go. Arenado comes up with a big hit, gives the Cardinals the lead again. I believe it was 9-8 at that point. Then Ryan Helsley blows it in the ninth inning. So, not a banner day for the Cardinals' bullpen as they give up a run in the seventh, two in the eighth, two in the ninth, five runs over the final three innings in order to drop this game 10-9. to But if you're looking for positive takeaways, the offense would certainly be that for the Cardinals. Again, 15 hits, nine runs scored, got on base another six times via walk, had eight strikeouts, but that's kind of par for the course now in Major League Baseball. We get it. We know how it goes. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But a really productive day where we've talked about the depth of this Cardinals lineup, and you can say one through nine, these guys can do damage. Imagine, I think this has kind of been the drum beat that I have been offering up on B-Shape Daily where I've said, if each of these players just hits on their median expectation, they don't have to exceed they don't have to go above and beyond. As long as they just don't fall, fall woefully short, just their median expectation. You know, what do you think probably is about a middle ground? Reasonable. That If they just do that, like you're telling me, you know, Tyler O'Neill, his median expectation is not going to be what he did last year. Now, is it going to be the 900 OPS that he had in 2021? No, that would probably be more on the high end, right? But somewhere in the middle, 780 to 800 OPS, okay. I mean, he's your number six batter. O'Neill goes one for four today with the big swing, the home run, drives in a couple runs, also reached base via walk. All right, what about Nolan Gorman? He's batting seventh in this lineup. He's going to be your DH for the most part against right-handed pitching. One for three, two walks on base three times. Took what the pitching gave him, which at times was not much. I thought he was going to be – I forgot to play bombs away today. I assume – uh, Cardinals gifts had it up there on Twitter. Forgot to play, but if I was going to play, it would have been Nolan Gorman that I would have would have tabbed, and they just didn't really give him a lot to hit. But one for three on base uh, three times because he walked twice. What's Nolan Gorman's median expectation? I mean, last year, 14 home runs, 724 OPS. I would say, given all the hype surrounding him, and the I say hype, but given all the, the positive feedback and, and the reinforcements we have heard about the way the Cardinals feel about Nolan Gorman reinforcing their belief in him this spring. Ollie Marmel has raved about him and he had a great spring. It's not just raving without production. He was producing in the spring, but then you say, okay, can that continue and carry over into the season? I would say the expectation, the median expectation would be for it to do so at a clip a little bit better than last year when he had a, a long stretches of inconsistency that sort of found him on the bench for the most part, down the stretch of the season. I think he even went down to the minors for a minute there. So, Nolan Gorman, I mean, similar story. 780 OPS, seven, even if I undersell him and go 750 to 780, that would be, I still feel like that's a median range. Realistically, I think he could be well above 800 in an OPS. But, again, I, I just am saying if you give him the median. Middle ground for all these Cardinals guys. I think you have a very, very dynamic lineup. Tommy Edmond batting ninth, two for five in this game. If your number nine batter is getting on base multiple times a game, and also he's a threat to steal because he stole, what, 30 bases last year? I believe he became the first Cardinal since Edgar Renteria in 2003, I think was the stat, to steal 30 bags when, uh, when he did it in 2021, and he followed it up with 32 steals last year. I think he could steal 40 bases now, bigger bases. I I get it if he's batting at the bottom of the lineup for the most part, but that'll change. I mean, throughout the season, things ebb and flow. But Tommy Edmond could, I don't think it's crazy to think he could be a 40 stolen base guy. Median expectation for all of these guys, 
Cardinals could have a very, very dangerous lineup, top to bottom. I mean, Dylan Carlson, I still think, is a good player. He's on the bench. Alec Burleson could be a power threat or just a, maybe not as much of a power threat, but a consistently dangerous bat from the left side off your bench. Which, again, without pitching uh, pitchers batting anymore, you really don't need pinch hitters the way you used to. But Ali Marmel, man, he strategizes there are going to be opportunities to mix and match, and they'll use those guys. They'll use an Alec Burleson when necessary over the course of a 162-game season. So, I mean, they've got starting caliber players on their bench is sort of the way I look at it. And I asked both Marmel and John Mozeliak sort of today, the, the thought process was, I don't believe I asked Mo. Somebody else did, though, so I didn't have to, is what it was. But I asked Ollie Marmel, like, would you characterize it as this being kind of the most depth you've seen in terms of not just one through nine, but even going beyond that and in, into your bench? And, yeah, the, the number of starter caliber players on, on their bench is one of the reasons that they've got some optimism that this offense can be pretty productive. And it was productive last year, top five and run scored. I think it's going to be better than that this year. I think it could very well be top three or even potentially the league-leading uh, offense in terms of run production. That would not stun me. One of the reasons for it, Jordan Walker. Let's talk about that. The rookie, the 20-year-old, the phenom. I think he had a pretty good opening day. Got his first base hit out of the way. Ends up going just one for five. Drove in a run on a fielder's choice uh, where he beat it out, running to first base. Could have been a double play. Nobody out, bases loaded, I think was the situation. And he ends up uh, getting the RBI that way. Had some more opportunities to do damage, but okay, one for five. No big deal. Got the first one out of the way. Uh, defensively, a little bit of an adventure for Jordan Walker in right field. But you got to be fair to the kid. I mean, he has only played outfield since late July, the early August of last year. After they traded Bader, that was when it was like, okay, this is what the succession plan sort of looks like in terms of uh, backfilling the beta role. We, you know, Carlson's going to play, but we're looking to try to get Jordan Walker to the big leagues as well because his bat's going to dictate it. And so let's move him to the outfield. And they did, and he's he's picked it up pretty well. And boy, did the ball ever find him today. He had, I mean, it had to have been more put-out opportunities than anybody else on the diamond. The ball just continued to go to right field. Caught his fair share of them. I don't think he made an error. Cardinals didn't have an error in the game. Toronto had one. No errors for the Cardinals. There was a misplay, though, on a a ball that was sliced by a right-handed batter into the right field corner. Cuts across the front of Jordan Walker's body, sort of, as it as it caroms off that angled side wall there in the, the right field corner near the foul pole. And Walker squares up the wall, and it just, the ball caroms off and bounces right beneath his legs which it didn't allow the batter an extra base. I think it, I mean, it would have been a double regardless, although we'll talk about Walker's arm. But it would have been a double regardless. It did allow the runner from first to score on the double. Again, not an error. But I think if he fields it cleanly, does that runner maybe hold up at third base on that play? Possibly so. But again, growing pains, you kind of expect it. And I, I think the, the, the bet the Cardinals are making is that the the bat he provides will be worth any of the adventures you might get in the outfield. But he is an athletic kid, and he's going to be, I think, a good outfielder. He's never going to be maybe a, a great outfielder, but he, he might be like a quintessential stud-hitting right fielder type where the arm is absolutely something that can develop into an asset. The strength of his arm, is is there's no questioning it. He showed it off a couple of times on Thursday. 
One was a throw where, let me see if I'm getting this right. I, I believe runner on first was trying to go first to third and ball in the gap it might have been. And Walker throws to third rather than hitting the cutoff man at second. Probably didn't need to do it. Wanted to flash, show off the arm a little bit. You're in your first big league game. You're trying to make a play. I understand how that would come about. Throws a, a pretty good dart to Arenado at third, but Arenado, because the, the runner's going to be safe, they're, they're not going to have a play there. Arenado begins to run towards second, trying to cut it off a little sooner to field it and wheel and throw back to the second base bag because the batter is trying to take the extra base on the throw. And Arenado makes a nice play, gets it to Donovan at second. Donovan swore that he got the tag down, but I think he tagged the chest, which allowed the runner's hand to get in under the base. They called him safe. Cardinals did not challenge. Review, I still couldn't tell. I was a little surprised they didn't challenge, but there was a pitching change at that point, and so I, I guess it just kind of went away. Maybe they had all the time they needed to look at it and, and saw it differently than I did because I only looked at it once. I kind of glanced at it. But that was an example of Jordan Walker trying to make a play, showing off the arm a little bit. And then the other one was, you know, probably one that he'd like to have back. Like the first one, Arenado, you throw the ball Arenado's direction, good things can tend to happen. The, they they almost caught that runner at second base, and it would have been um, even better than having it first and third and you hit the cutoff man like you're supposed to. The other one, he overthrows Kisner on a, a, a play at home that just wasn't going to be a play. And so, you know, sailed the throw a little bit. I asked him after the game. He said, you know, it's just one of those things you get used to. The, the great thing about Jordan Walker, too, is that, like, he doesn't, even if you ask him about something that you you could perceive as a little bit critical, like you're asking about a throw that he made that was bad, he he just doesn't take anything. He takes it all in stride. And that's what we've been hearing consistently from Ollie Marmel, John Mosellock, in terms of, you know, why did this guy make the team? Well, they love the way that he's been able to handle adversity handle some of the failures that he had over the latter part of spring training camp where his, you know, his numbers were very robust at the beginning of camp. And then they kind of fell off a little bit, but they didn't see any change in his demeanor and the way he went about his business. And that was almost like the key, the light switch going off for the team. It's like, all right, this guy, this guy might be ready. Now we, we believe in this guy. We don't have to wait. We don't have to see it at triple a. What's he going to go? What's he going to do at triple a? I think is sort of the mindset. So Jordan Walker's an impressive guy. Um, I think he's going to be pretty good. I think he's going to be good. And got the first hit. It's going to be exciting to see what he does over the you know the coming weeks. One thing I thought was interesting from Ollie Marmel in his office before the game, the pregame, he basically, you know, you thought the versatility and the depth of the bench might allow them to do some mixing and matching right away. In the outfield in particular, it sounds like what you see is what you're going to get for a little while with O'Neill, Newtbar, Walker as your outfield. And they want to see what these guys can do, which is not a slight to Dylan Carlson, but I don't, I, I don't know that it's going to be, you know, replacing Jordan Walker in the in the late innings for defense. It may happen at times, but all he seemed to indicate, like, you know, we want to see what it looks like for Jordan Walker to play baseball. Like he's going to go play a full game, and uh, you know, there there might be late inning situations where day to day that changes, but they're wanting to see what this group that has sort of, you know, won the opportunity in their mind to to get the playing time and, and see what they'll do with it. And Tyler O'Neill obviously hitting the home run today. That It's a feather in his cap. 
got the center field job, wanted the center field job. They're, they're letting him run with it right now. And in terms of the positioning of the outfield, I think you could go a few different ways. We've kind of talked about that. I think Walker will mostly be in right field. Was playing a lot of left in camp, Marmel said, basically because they wanted to get him more experience there because there will be times where it's probably beneficial perhaps to get him in to left field. But uh, right field's where they think, uh, you know, he'll be most comfortable. He's kind of indicated that. They, they see it the same way. Walker talked about on Wednesday the slice of the ball off of the right-hander's bat when you're in right field. That's the toughest thing to kind of judge, and then vice versa when you're in left. The lefty, the, the shot that'll tail away from you, and maybe uh, even right-handed batters just kind of learning the, the way the ball will tail depending on how it's struck. A little tougher in left field. Had one exactly like that, though, today in right field. That was the one that went, but that was the one that went off the wall, and it's not like he was going to cut that one off. It's the one that went through his legs, but it is what it is. I, I think Jordan Walker be fine as an outfielder, but again, the the big boost, I think, to this Cardinals team is going to be uh, not just his presence and his ability to, again, be a, a steady guy that I think you appreciate in the clubhouse, but the bat. The bat is what is going to carry Jordan Walker, and uh, Cardinals fans certainly are excited to see it. They were excited to see their first glimpse of it in the game on Thursday. All right, let's talk about, and I said I'd talk about the Contreras injury more. There's really not much more that we know other than it would be really, really bad if Contreras was out long-term. I'm talking like a, a the cracked his kneecap, they do the MRI, and they find out, oh, yep, it's there's a fracture. That would be DEFCON, whatever the bad DEFCON is. Be very bad. It is not to say that Andrew Kisner couldn't step in, but, you know, the reason they went out and got Contreras was because they knew that this lineup needed a boost offensively at the catcher position compared to what they had last year. And, you know, Kiz did not have a good spring offensively. So I don't know what they'd do. I really don't even know. It's almost like you'd have to go get somebody, but who who are you going to go get? It's the second game of the season. It might be rolling with Kisner. It might be calling up Ivan Herrera to say, hey, somebody's got to compete for these, you know, these opportunities. Don't know what it would be. Hopefully, it's not a situation the Cardinals find themselves in. Again, the x-rays negative for Contreras, but they were going to get him an MRI as well. That version of the imaging can maybe show show something differently. They're just doing their due, due diligence and hoping to see really nothing pop up. But the bone bruise, it's probably bone bruise, and uh, they, they said right knee contusion. Certainly, I wouldn't expect to see him for the next couple of days, My my opinion. My guess, just based on that, I mean, he tried to crouch down into the catcher's positioning and he just couldn't get it. He couldn't, you could see him from the press box shaking his head, didn't feel right, didn't get a chance to talk to him after the game. He may have spoken after I left the clubhouse. I didn't stay till the last dog died, but I don't, I think he was already gone. So I don't know if there, there have been any public comments from him out there as of yet. But yeah, I don't have a lot to add to that other than, yep, you don't want your, your shiny new toy to get broken in the first game. That would not be good. So, Cardinals fans, hold hold your breath for now. I think it's probably going to be okay in terms of, like, long-term. But for, you know, a week or so, it could be – it's painful. I mean, 103 off the kneecap is not going to be fun no matter who you are, whether you got padding on or not. So, we'll wait and see what it is for Contreras for sure. Let's talk about Adam Wainwright singing. This was really cool. This was maybe the coolest moment I thought of the – 
the entire opening day uh, festivities. And it was good to get a chance to chat with Adam Wainwright about it after the game because it kind of took everybody by surprise. Nobody really knew this was happening. And nobody exemplified that more than Jordan Montgomery, who was standing right next to Wainwright. You know, they have the Canadian National Anthem because they're playing the Blue Jays, so they do both countries' anthems. Abigail Stahl-Schmidt uh, played it on the electric violin. Cool cool stuff on the, the Canadian side. But then they're all standing there, and John Hewlett, the PA announcer, public address for years and years and years at Bush, starts to say there's now to do the national anthem. There's a uh, an up-and-coming singer from right here in St. Louis who uh, is also kicking off his final season as a player. And everybody's like, wait, what? And you could just see that the Valley Sports Midwest had a, a tweet of like the whole thing leading up to it where the, you're hearing John Hewlett and you're watching Wainwright on the line there as he sort of gets his cue to go step to the microphone. And it's pretty good. The reaction from Jordan Montgomery is great. And then you see Jake Woodford kind of hit Montgomery on the arm. Like, I knew something was going and And I even noticed it at the time, and I thought, man, that is, I don't think any of these guys knew. And the singing itself was, I, you know, that's a hard gig. I think Wayno did a great job. It, it was slow. It was slower than I think you want anthems to be most of the time. But after the game, he even talked about that as well. And I've got a clip that I'm going to play here. I don't, it's about a minute and a half long, so I don't know. It's not the entire conversation, but there was a, a part of the conversation after the, the game with Wainwright where he said, you know, you're out there singing. I respect the people who, who can do this all the time because you don't realize that when you're singing and then you hear yourself about a second and a half later singing the same lyric over the loudspeakers, you kind of like get into a trance of you're slowing your pace to sing with what you hear and it can be really trippy. If you've ever done karaoke and feel like, why is this like not quite right? It's it's that sort of thing where you you sort of have to go mind over matter as a, a singer. And Adam Wainwright has a lot of experience on a baseball field. He doesn't have experience singing on a baseball field over the loudspeakers. And so that was a little bit tough. They needed to get the guy an earpiece. They did him dirty by not having him have the, the IFB or whatever they're called that performers use in loud venues to be able to they just hear themselves it's their voice piped directly into the earpiece I believe is how it works so that they are are completely in time and in rhythm and don't have to you know kind of hear for what their 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 next cue is or whatever so that I thought they did him dirty with that but good stuff from Adam Wainwright talking about like how he really put one over on Jordan Montgomery this is pretty good take a listen it's about a minute and a half long of kind of some back and forth with Adam Wainwright after the game talking about him singing the Star-Spangled Banner before opening day. But I knew Mo knew right before the game because when I shook his hand at home plate, yeah. he goes, all right, he'll kill the anthem now. I was like, all right. Oh, wow. Jordan yeah. Montgomery next to you seemed utterly shocked. I don't know if you've yeah. seen the re- reaction <laughs> well, he gave. Because right before that, uh, he looked over and he goes, who's singing the anthem? I go, oh, those are two of my songwriting buddies. They're going to sing the anthem. Oh, that's he goes, man, you should have... You should sing with them sometime. And I was like, yeah, we'll think about it. <laughs> we'll think about doing it in 30 seconds from now, you know. Obviously, you're a oh, guy, dude. The really interesting thing was, and this is totally nervous-based, and I'm, I'm not a nervous person, so, like, I don't have a whole lot of experience with that. 
but walking out there when the when the when the um, Can- Canadian national anthem started, I all of a sudden just went total cottonmouth, wow. like like I had you know never had a drink of water in my life sure, mouth sure. and I'm, I'm trying to you know gather something I'm going <coughs> something you never felt on that field before no and Woody, Woody was standing next to me too and Woody, Woody was like trying to talk to me and I was like kind of getting in the zone and he was like alright I guess he's mad at me or something and I was like <laughs> afterwards he's like it makes sense now like, oh because he mad. immediately to Jordan and was like I knew something was up like you could yeah. totally tell in the yeah. video that he was but pretty good month for your I guess patriotic bucket list yes 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 I'm I'm gonna have to get a American flag tattoo on me or something. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's been a, it's been a minus the little injury I have. I mean, it's not a serious one, so I'm not really worried about it. But uh, minus that, this has been a pretty good start to my year. That was just really good. I, I love the. Uh, I mean, listen, the game Cardinals lost ten to nine. There's plenty to talk about from it. Obviously, we're doing that. But my, my favorite breakdown of the day was how in the world did you come to, you know, how did it come to that you were going to sing the national anthem? which he said it was the manager of player communications named Melody that had called him after he got injured because initially they were going to do kind of a tribute for him. He was going to be the opening day starter, obviously, if he wasn't hurt. And they asked him, you know, who's someone special to you that, you know, you sing, they could do the anthem. And it was um, a couple of his songwriting buddies, Gary and Greg, I believe are their names, where they were going to do the anthem. But then when the injury happened with Wainwright, they're not going to do the whole tribute thing in in the same way that they were. And so she Melody came up with the idea, asked Wainwright if he wanted to just to sing the anthem too and, you know, could perform it alongside those his guys. And he said at first, he said no. He said he de- he declined the the idea at first. And she said, okay, we're going to, you know, we'll give you some time to think about it, but We'll we'll just start kind of looking into Plan B. He said he called her back within ten minutes and said I'll do it. <laughs> so that's pretty cool, man. I thought for sure, like knowing how patriotic he is and everything, that that would be something that he'd be all over. But that's a nervous thing, right? Like forty seven thousand six hundred in the in the facility on that day, second uh, highest attendance for an opening day since. Uh, well, since the ballpark opened up for Bush Stadium 3, it was the second highest opening day. I think the 10th highest crowd ever at Bush 3 today at, at the at the old ball yard. So that's a lot of people that Wainwright would have to be performing in front of, and that's not – he's used to – like you said, I'm not a nervous person. But, when, you know, when he pitches, it's it's second nature. But he, he, he loves to sing, is aspiring, you know, country music artist. But that is a totally different ball game than what he's used to doing down there on that field. So can understand maybe a little bit of hesitance at first, but it's I'm, I'm really glad he did it. I thought it was a really cool moment and just another opportunity, right, for Cardinals fans to honor him today. All right, it's his last year. You figured he would have been the pitcher, but circumstances happen. Not able to do it. Although you heard there at the end of his clip, he said it's not really a an injury that I'm super worried about. It's a minor injury, so I'm allowed to say, like, other than that injury, it's been a pretty good start to my year to be able to do the the World Baseball Classic, pitch for Team USA, and now he's singing America's song um, on the field at Bush. He did say like his goals were to do you know do a decent rendition of the song, do the do do the country proud, honor the country in in the way he sang it, and also not to mess up the words. 
And then he said, I wanted to, to sing it with a quick pace, and that's the one thing he wasn't able to do. Uh, but again, I think they just get him an earpiece. They probably didn't think about it. He's he's in baseball uniform. It would have taken, but he just walked right up and took the mic. I thought maybe he would have had one, but I, I I watched back the video. I don't think he did. And those can certainly help you in those situations. But anyway, thought it was cool. What did you think of Wainwright singing? Let me know at bshaper12 on Twitter. All right, let's talk about Brendan Donovan because I think there is a world in which Brendan Donovan is. And I didn't come up with this comparison on my own. I probably would have gotten to it eventually, but uh, Brandon Kylie of 101 was sitting next to me, and, and others on Twitter have pointed this out as well. It makes perfect sense. Brandon Donovan's got a chance to be like, to be Matt Carpenter, to be the next Matt Carpenter. Adding power to his game is the thing that can take it to another level. And Brendan Donovan, by the way, has a gold glove already. Matt Carpenter was never going to win a gold glove. He had a warning track fly ball to center field, by the way, tonight with the Padres. I was watching their game. Would have tied the game, but uh, died at the track. But Brendan Donovan, last year, 4.2 wins above replacement, according to baseball reference for Donovan, in 468 plate appearances. So not a full season, right? He didn't start with the team. Came up a little later, 126 games, 468 plate appearances. A hiccup there, sorry. But 4.2 wins above replacement. Like, you're a four-win player, that's something. He hit five home runs in those 468 PAs and had a great year, but he had a higher on-base percentage than he did a slugging percentage. Like, he was not a power guy. 21 doubles, but just five home runs. 379 slug, but a 394 OBP for a very sturdy 773 OPS. But we have seen Brendan Donovan throughout the spring hitting the ball hard, hitting it with authority, and hitting some home runs. I think he had four home runs in the spring, which, again, just a complete difference compared to virtually no power at all last year throughout a full season, five home runs. Four home runs in the spring. You can see where this is going. Today, Brendan Donovan goes three for six. And he was hitting the ball on the nose in several of these at-bats. 109.1 on a line drive to right field that George Springer got on his horse. And then it's like he left off his horse right at the last possible second to be able to dive and catch this baseball took a good angle to it, and was able to cut it off before it became two Cardinals runs and extra bases for Brendan Donovan. 109.1 off the bat. As we're sitting there, BK looks it up and he says, 107 miles per hour off the bat is the most that Donovan had all of 2022. So in his you know second swing of the season, he had a, a base hit in his first at bat that wasn't uh, struck as, as firmly but in the second at-bat, lines out at 109.1. You're like, exit velocity, who cares? Well, then he homered. Brendan Donovan into the Cardinals bullpen, 99 off the bat. All right. You add exit velocity to launch angle, you get home runs. And that has been the code that it seems Brendan Donovan has cracked this spring. Oh, and then in his fourth at-bat, base hit 105.3 off the bat. And then 188, that was an out later on in the game. You get where this is going, though. 
three swings of 99 or more, three balls in play, 99 miles per hour or more off the bat, one of them at 109, which somehow was not the hardest hit ball of the game. It was the hardest hit ball by a Cardinal. Arenado had two at 108-107.4, but Vladimir Guerrero Jr. had one at 115.5. And Dalton Varsho smoked one off of Michaelis, a double into right early in the game at 112.5. But Brendan Donovan is going to continue to hit the ball with authority. I think that's the case. He's not going to be a slap-hitting middle infielder. Like, he is looking to do damage when he gets up there, and that is something that has been added to his game, and it makes him a threat. Because if he's a 4.2 win player in a partial season without power, with power, he is a 6, 7, or 8 wins above replacement guy. He is an all-star and... At the end of the day, you'll look at his numbers, and people are going to give him MVP votes with that with that kind of batting line, knowing that he's a good, versatile defender as well. Not saying he's going to win the MVP. I'm saying he could finish top 10 MVP if you compiled the stat line that would make sense for what he's doing, which is consistently hitting the ball with authority. If you give him 600 plate appearances, which I think the Cardinals are prone to do, they're going to. I mean, he's going to play. Every damn day. I, I, I think he, he could lead the team in starts. That would not be a surprise to me. Health health being a, a given in that. But add about 120 plate appearances to the 468 he had last year. And I'm telling you what. Like, okay, five home runs last year. If he even hit a dozen home runs this year, which was kind of the number that I was coming in thinking, like, all right, 12 to 15 home runs. What does that do for Brendan Donovan? I mean, it adds, I don't know how many war specifically the home runs alone would add, but the reputation as a power hitter would probably give him more walks, more opportunities to walk. He'll probably add some doubles with that power stroke. He's going to be at six wins above replacement before you know it. And that's like Tommy Edman last year. Played great shortstop defense, even better second base defense when he played at second. The versatility probably gave him a boost. But he was 6.3 wins above replacement. But he did that. And by the way, he's an excellent base runner, which I don't, I mean, I assume Brendan Donovan grades out well at the base running as well. I just don't know off the top of my head. But to give you an example, last year, Tommy had been 13 home runs with 32 steals. So Donovan's probably not stealing the 32 bags that Edmund did. Uh, he had two last year. But you give Brendan Donovan 13 home runs, first of all, he's going to have a higher batting, you know, uh, batting line. What do you call it? Yeah, batting line. Batting average is going to be probably higher than the 265 Edmund had last year. 324 on base. Well, Donovan beat that by 70 in his rookie season at 394. And the slug of Edmund at 400 from last year, Donovan slugged 370-something. So, yeah, add some home runs, get him slugging 425. Suddenly he's a easily an 800 to 825 to 830 OPS guy. He's hitting 13 to 15 home runs, which, by the way, that might be underselling what he's going to do if if he continues on the pace that he's been on through spring and then carried it on today in opening day. But more realistically, let's try to be somewhat reasonable and put a cap on this. 13 to 15 home runs for Brendan Donovan with the defense that he plays, which is really strong. He's versatile. He's going to get on base. I told you I think he can score 75 or 80 runs before we get to the All-Star break. Could lead the league in runs. He is going to be a wins-above-replacement machine. 
And sometimes you say, well, the war, I don't know if I buy into all of it. How can a guy have this war when his numbers offensively are this or that? I think it's, I don't think there's going to be anything empty about the wins above replacement that Brennan Donovan has a real chance to provide for the Cardinals this season. Batten leadoff, I mean, he was 126 on the OPS plus meter last year, 26% above league average for his position, which I don't know how they adjust for position for him because he played so darn many. But Brennan Donovan, I like if he's doing those things, if he's hitting 15 home runs, again, let's get a little bit more aggressive this time. We've been, let's say, all right, we're going to be conservative, 12 home runs. Let's say he hits 15 to 20 bombs and he scores over 100 runs because it would be hard not to bat and lead off in this Cardinals lineup if you have an OP on-base percentage of 390 like he did last year. He would be the biggest story of the Cardinals season. I think he has a chance to be that. In a year that contains new catcher Wilson Contreras, in a year that contains Wainwright's final season, in a year that contains Jordan Walker, the rookie phenom, and maybe Mason Wynn will join him by midsummer. I think Brennan Donovan, we could look back and go, man, this guy, the Cardinals fell bass backwards into a gold mine with Brennan Donovan. I mean, he, I mean, it's looking back on just kind of the demeanor and the way he's always carried himself since the beginning of last year, like he means business and he goes in the off season and absolutely works his tail off to get even better. Dude's just a gamer. Dude's a baseball player and uh 26 years old. Yeah. They're going to have him for a while. That's not a guy you trade. Like we talk about all the trades they could have made in the off season to maybe kind of reorchestrate the roster or whatever. Looking at the guys they kept. I don't know. I think, I think they might've been onto something. You know, Brendan Donovan was probably a guy that a lot of teams asked about, if I had to guess. But I think the Cardinals know what they've got in him. They knew what they had in him then. And I think now, if he's going to be, I'm not calling him a power hitter. He's not going to hit 30 home runs. But, like, if he is hitting the ball with authority and he's launch angling it enough, he's going to get into the double digits in home runs at a minimum. And that is going to do wonders for just the value that he brings to this team. So, Keep an eye on Brendan Donovan. I'm telling you, like I'm high on Nolan Gorman. Today, when I did the uh, uh, the Twitter tweets, I tweeted out, you know, give me your Cardinals team MVP, your Gibby, your Bob Gibson, your uh, your the Cardinals version of a Cy Young. I, I I dubbed last year. Give me your Gibby. Give me your Rookie of the Year and your Reliever of the Year. And then give me a bold prediction. My bold prediction was Nolan Gorman is an All Star. I should have said Brendan Donovan because I. I fully believe that as well. Might not be bold enough to say Brendan Donovan is an all-star because I think, I, I, I'm telling you, I think he's well on his way. Uh, by the way, pitcher of the year, I think I said Matz for Gibby. I think Steven Matz is going to be nails if he's healthy. He had a great spring. I'm keeping an eye on Steven Matz. Um, offensively, I said Arenado. The MVP of the team is Arenado. The MVP of the league could be Arenado as well this year. And then for reliever of the year, I went with Drew Verhagen. Drew Ver who looked very good today, by the way. And I don't know what he calls that pitch, whether it's a curveball, slider. Uh, StatCast had it down as a sweeper. I don't know what it is, but it was working today. He made Vlad Guerrero Jr. look silly on a swing. Made him look like his dad, Vlad Sr. Not in the fact that Vlad Sr. ever really looked silly, but like he would swing at anything. Vlad Jr. managed to put the bat to it to foul it off, but he got fooled on this pitch by Verhagen. And I, I don't know how quickly he might have to elevate into like a more... Uh, prominent role in that bullpen because 
you've got the stuff we didn't really end up talking about a ton. Jordan Hicks, he gave up like, I don't think he let a ball out of the infield is why I, I basically said, I don't know how much you can can look at his outing and, and be too upset about it other than the wild pitch that may have gotten their catcher hurt. He had some command issues that I thought were worth asking Ollie Marmel about and other reporters did too because I asked the question and Ollie was kind of like, no, I don't really agree with, I forget what he said, but he didn't agree with the characterization of, and you can check it out, by the way, it's all on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash at for 12 You can see exactly what he said because the full video is up there. But I don't remember, he just said he didn't really buy into the characterization that Hicks struggled with command and that's why the, the inning went sideways on him in the eighth when he ends up getting charged with a couple of runs there. He basically said he threw enough strikes today to be fine and just, you know, wasn't. But the only spot I would disagree with is, like, the wild pitch. Like, he had balls that were thrown in at-bats, but you're afforded three of them before you walk a guy, so it's not the end of the world. But, yeah, he really did. He was snake bit a little bit, and I agree with that from Ollie. Cardinals fans on Twitter were uh, – there was one guy that said – I don't know who this was. I'm not trying to call you out or anything, but he said, you know, I've seen enough of Hicks, like, get get get, get him out of here. And I retweeted that one and said, listen, I did, did he even let a ball out of the infield? I don't think he did. We got to pump the brakes a little bit. You'd like to see that progression from Jordan, though, in terms of fine-tuning and honing in and becoming a guy that could be pinpoint with his command. I wouldn't call him pinpoint by any stretch of the imagination today, um, but – I do think he, he kind of got into some bad luck because he was sawing off guys. I mean, it was it was one soft contact after another. It just so happened that they all found holes in, in the Bermuda Triangle of the infield and ended up having a problematic inning because of it, and the, the wild pitch did not help. That's the one where you just got to try to help your catcher out a little bit there and not, not burn him in the kneecap. But when you have electric stuff like Hicks does, you kind of have to take the good with the bad sometimes. But definitely needs more effectiveness. He was pitching in the eighth inning because Gallegos, as I mentioned off the top of the show, tweaked the back, wasn't available to pitch today. And then Helsley comes into the ninth and does not get his job done. And so you kind of look at the culmination and the combination of all of that and go, well, Verhagen, I don't know how soon it could be, but you could see him in, in more of a high-profile role in that bullpen if he uh, continues to look good, which I thought he did today. But it's getting late out here. I'm going to wrap things up on B-Shafe Daily for today with that 10-9 Cardinals lose to the Blue Jays do you feel like the sky is falling I feel like there were honestly more positives to take away from today than negatives as long as Contreras is healthy if he's not Cardinals have a problem uh starting pitching I mean Michael has had a rough day but you know what so did Alec Manoa and Alec Manoa is a, a really good pitcher so is Miles Michaelis I'm I'm not going to press the panic alarm just yet on the starting rotation uh, keep an eye on some of the developments, though, in the bullpen. I mean, five runs over the final three innings allowed by the Cardinals is the reason they lost this game. The offense continued to battle back and give them chances to win it, and the the bullpen just did not simply did not allow them to do so, which is a little bit concerning on the the back the back end of things. But 161 to go, and uh, you get Jack Flaherty on Saturday. Don't know if we'll have a B shaped daily on Friday. We'll see. I might do like a live stream sort of thing. Let me know if that's something that people would be into. Like, I, I would need the feedback for people to say, yes, I would watch that. I would, because it used to be I would do these periscopes on Twitter, and it's been years since I've done one. But, yeah, I would I would hop in. People would, got some good action on it, too. People would ask questions, and we would we would shoot the breeze uh, talking Cardinals baseball on, on Twitter, basically live video. Um, they still do Twitter live videos, but I'm thinking maybe YouTube. I want to try to get the YouTube going. 
And so if that is something that people would actually watch and participate in, let me know. Maybe Friday I'll be able to do one of those. If not, I'm doing it soon for sure. So uh, appreciate you guys, as always, for listening to this podcast. We will talk to you on the next one next time on Be Shafe Daily. Peace.